0: I'm Madeline Jane Aubel, and this is Window Dressing, Glamour Girl Next Door, MGM to Playboy. This week, I'm talking about a woman who took up too much space for Hollywood's comfort, Miss Sharon Stone. Her portrayal of Ginger in Scorsese's 1995 film, Casino, is inarguably one of her best performances to date. But what I want to focus on is the role itself. Ginger is a literal whore, Perhaps as penance for the space she inhabits, she must suck dick for cash. Call it American cinema's brand of realism, a nod to the realities of the inequities between the sexes. The film is costumed by Rita Ryack and John Dunn to stunning effect. The makeup department consists of 18 names, so I'm only going to mention Miss Stone's makeup artist, Trisha Sawyer. Much has been said and written about the costume design in this film, so I'm going to focus on how the effort behaves on screen and contributes to Sharon Stone's character, Ginger. Sharon Stone was the epitome of womanhood when I was the age where I needed to learn what that was, and ironically, she was the age I am now when making this film. Casino came out when I was 11, and Ginger taught me a lot about men, most of which has proved to be remarkably accurate. Seeing through her eyes was my only experience of the film, so I find it shocking when fellow feminists find her character to be unredeemable. I don't think she is the one in need of redemption, but perhaps, predictably, she becomes the receptacle of everyone else's failures. Ginger is positioned as greedy without any thought to how money is the only power and freedom she has access to. Casino is adapted from a true story. Stone's character, Ginger, is based on a real woman named Jerry McGee. Robert De Niro's character, Sam, Ace Rothstein, was also based on a real person, Frank Lefty Rosenthal. Joe Pesci plays Nikki, the resident gangster, and James Wood plays Ginger's old pimp boyfriend, Lester Diamond. Both are amalgamations of real people. The film is a retelling of the late 1960s through the early 1980s in Las Vegas and the gangsters that ran the town and their subsequent fall from grace. Ginger is a hustler, a showgirl, a prostitute, a.k.a. a female cowboy. Sam is an odds maker sent in from Chicago to run the Tangiers Casino. They meet and then marry, even though Ginger explicitly states she does not love Sam and feels like he would, quote unquote, handicap her in the deal, meaning she would not be able to make her own living as his wife. He assures her of her safety with gifts of cash and jewels, mistaking her love of money for something other than a desire for agency. Ginger is still in love and in a relationship with Lester. He remains in her life and continues to squeeze her for cash. Nikki, Sam's friend and wild gangster character, comes to Vegas and begins to set up shop as the muscle. Wildly violent and all too willing to play both sides between Ginger and Sam, Nikki ends up sleeping with Ginger and subsequently pushing her down as she is already falling. By the film's end, Sam loses his casino, Nikki is buried in the desert, and Ginger ODs from a hotshot in a motel hallway. Ginger's story begins when she is spotted on security camera by Sam pocketing lavender chips. Ginger stands on the casino floor in a short white sequin dress with a -a peekaboo halter neckline encrusted with multicolored beads at her throat. Her hair is in a blonde coif that is a cross between Sandra Dee and Anne Margaret. Her era-specific glamour is accented with blue painted eyes and coral red lips. She has a thin gold chain handbag hanging from her shoulder. The same bag she sneaks lavender chips into while her date is distracted. He sees her stealing and refuses the money she is owed. In response to his breach of contract, she throws tray after tray of chips up into the air in the middle of the casino floor. Mickey and Sylvia's Love is Strange plays while people scramble for the chips. In this moment of unbridled joy and uncontainable vigor, Ginger shines. She walks away, happy and content with the mess she made, because it wasn't really her mess. It is a consequence of the lack of respect her date showed her. In the next scene, Ginger is featured in a montage that begins with Sam saying that he, quote, fell in love with Ginger right there. But in Vegas, for a girl like Ginger, love costs money. The two are on a date. Ginger is wearing a black sequin strapless dress with a flower design on her left hip and a diamond brooch over her heart. Her hair is as gold as Versailles worn side swept like a sex laden Veronica Lake. Sam gives her some money for the powder room. For those of you who don't know about bathroom attendants, they provide all kinds of perfumes, lotions, aftermints, and so on for a price. When she comes back, Sam asks her for the change. She doesn't have any. I have to say it's incredibly obnoxious for a man to give you money and then request the change. It makes him look like a fucking idiot and forgets that Ginger is a hustler and Sam hasn't proven himself to be anything other than a John. And in fact, I think he gets off on being her John. Before we see Ginger return to Sam with no change, there are a series of shots of her being a successful whore in the most fabulous outfits any queen on the scene could hope for. The second of the series is an early 1970s silk chiffon green patterned mini dress with a halter knotted at her throat. She is wearing a grass green marabou feather boa. And as we learned from last week's episode, boa wearing blondes are absolutely genius. Her hair is worn half up and her makeup is remarkable. The eyes are done in a gray shadow that cat eyes without any use of liner. The inner lid is dusted with a golden peach shadow, creating a glow that looks equal parts seductive and alien. Her lips are done in a bright pink with matching liner. If any woman alive has a face for makeup, it's Sharon Stone. She is unbelievably beautiful. A true classically stunning woman. Sam describes Ginger as the scene progresses, saying, quote, Who didn't want Ginger? She was one of the best known, best liked, and most respected hustlers in town. Smart hustlers like her could keep a guy awake for two or three days before sending him home broke to the little woman and his bank examiners. This little bit of exposition gives us a clear view of Ginger as in control of her own life and a real player on the scene. Her position as Vegas prostitute is no better or worse than Sam's as a gambler or Nicky's as a gangster. She is described initially as a hustler. It's only later that Ginger is reclassified as a whore when Sam says, quote, Once a whore, always a whore. The next bit of character exposition introduces us to Lester, Ginger's pimp boyfriend, a man that she has been aligned with since childhood. Ginger is with Lester in what looks like a strip mall style apartment. She is wearing a snakeskin printed satin coat, I assume over a matching mini dress. The coat is belted at the waist and her hair is styled sort of trashy, teased up around the face in thin looking wisps. This is an indication of the forward motion of time and changing trends, but also a way to reflect Lester's effect on Ginger. This is our first inkling of drugs and addiction as part of her person. I would argue that the less than in control air about Ginger in this scene is more about her humanity than Lester's hold on her. She loves this man for good or bad, but has still been able to craft control, power and adulthood outside of him. But while in his presence, she looks like a child to me. Sam describes Ginger's relationship to Lester as out of character for her and says, quote, I guess the way Ginger saw it, Lester was just an unlucky guy and someone had to take care of him. This infuriates me. Clearly, Sam doesn't have an understanding of womanhood or what it's like to be whored out at 14 by a man you love. The fact that he actually cannot process that Ginger may actually love this piece of shit, pimp, wholly ignores the realities of womanhood. In some ways, it's flattering that he can't understand how she could stoop to Lester's level. On the other hand, it seems that Sam can only see Ginger as a prized piece of property that by extension reflects his value system. That mindset is what makes Sam a John. He sees her as a reflection of him, the way a woman chooses a handbag that reflects her status, style, and tax bracket. If Ginger treated Sam as anything other than a John under these circumstances, she would be giving away all her power to play purse to a fucking wimp. After three months of courtship, Sam makes a not so romantic proposition to Ginger. He asks her to marry him. She shows him the respect a real man deserves and tells him the truth. She says she is not in love with him. Sam responds by throwing that respect in her face. He changes the proposal to a business proposition, effectively and firmly placing himself in the category of John and making her a hustler, not a wife in the arrangement. He set her up from the start. Sam does some song and dance about how love can grow and what is love anyways, blah, blah, blah. He even throws out the word respect, but the truth is he wants her at any cost and is willing to buy the love she doesn't have for him. He sells her out before they even walk down the aisle. Seeing the change in dynamic, Ginger shifts her position from respecting Sam to protecting herself. She asks him what will happen to her if it doesn't work out between them. Sam says, quote, so whatever happens, if it doesn't work out between us, I'm going to make sure you're okay for the rest of your life. Ginger says, what are you pitching me? Sam says, just what I said, you will be set up for the rest of your life. That I can promise. They get married. By the middle of the film, Sam struggles to grip and control, not love and honor his wife. In the first shot of a daytime diner scene, Ginger, dressed in a long white leather coat with ermine fur tails adorning every other inch of leather, like a luxe striped pattern akin to a royal robe, hands a thick envelope of cash across the booth to Lester. Her hair is curled in one and a half inch barrel curls that cascade to her shoulders. She is smiling and glamorous in a black lurex top underneath her coat and bell-bottom slacks. Sam walks in and sits down next to Ginger. Sam, addressing Lester, says, Aren't you the card shark, the golf hustler, the pimp from Beverly Hills? We see a close-up of Lester's face feigning acknowledgement while looking in Ginger's direction. Sam slams down another envelope of cash on the table, daring Lester to take his money too. Lester glances around the room, quickly realizing there are guys posted at the exits. Ginger's head hangs down, silent and still sitting next to Sam in the booth. She is completely drained of her previous joy. Sam says to Lester, did you know she was my wife? In the next shot, Lester replies, yeah, I did. Sam successfully places property rights on his wife at the same moment that her boyfriend abandons her. Lester gets up and leaves the diner. Sam keeps Ginger in the booth and says, Lester didn't stop you from marrying me. Sam pulls Ginger up from her seat and says, come here. I have something to show you. He grabs her hard by her right arm and drags her out of the diner. In the next shot, Lester is beaten in the parking lot. Ginger is screaming and fighting with Sam with her ermine and white leather coat flailing behind her. She is sobbing and begging Sam to make them stop. Sam forces Ginger into his canary yellow Cadillac. It is an apt color and cage for the woman that is now made to be a pet. The scene ends with an aerial shot of Ginger sobbing in the car as it drives out of the parking lot and down the street. The bronco busting Sam engages in with his wife Ginger in this scene doesn't just crack Lester's head, it breaks her heart. Both men have nothing but themselves in mind. Lester wants cash, and Sam wants his property to be predictable, controllable, and contained. Ginger's trap is set and snared. She lost all her agency the moment she married Sam. She didn't want to marry him and quickly withered in his yellow Cadillac of a canary cage. I spent years trying to find a white leather and ermine fur coat. I would still give anything to have the one she wore in this scene. Stone as ginger is often referred to as a style icon, but there is so much more to it than that. The dignity that wearing ermine, traditionally the fur of royalty, gives her in a scene where she is literally being taken by her old pimp and pushed around by her new husband is revolutionary. She does not go down quietly. That sentiment is further evidenced later in the film when she refuses to let her unraveling go unwitnessed. Eventually, Ginger tries to divorce Sam, but he won't let her go. She has started to drink heavily. This actually began at their wedding. By the way, this is such a common practice of women that are forced in situations where they lose themselves. They have to numb out to survive. It is self-destructive, but the motivation actually comes from a place of survival and self-preservation. Ginger is not the one that is fucked up in this scenario. Sam won't let her out of the trap she is in, citing her drinking as the main reason. It's outrageous to have the consequences of the trap be the reason you can't get out. It is just like a man to do this, and to do it with wildly condescending and self-righteous airs. She is being driven crazy by this asshole. He gets to play the role of calm and reasonable while she unravels and heightens her self-harm. I have said this before, but self-harm is sometimes the only means of retribution against a man in a man's world. Of course, it's a wildly ineffective one, but it's a very understandable route for a woman seeking accountability from a man. The gulf between them widens as Ginger fights for independence. One particular fight illuminates the way Sam sees Ginger and the quickly fading self-respect she is allotted in the role of Sam's wife. Out of desperation, she drunkenly plans a hit on her husband, the husband that won't let her out of the marriage and threatens her life when she tries to leave. Sam overhears her plot and grabs her. She struggles against his grip and she screams, I fucking hate you. God, I feel that line in my bones. I fucking hate him too. His nice guy act has gone too far. He has broken the woman he claimed to love and held her hostage to boot. He has no respect or understanding for her position in the world and can only see her as an extension of himself. It's fucking disgusting. He drags her by her wrists, crucifixion style, through the hallway of their home. When they reach the closet, he slams her against the wall while screaming, I want you out of here. He throws a bag down on the ground and starts tossing clothes at her. She doesn't fight back. She just says, I want my money and the arrangement is over. He says, no kidding. This part is important because it admits that this wasn't a marriage. It was a property rental. Sam treated Ginger like his personal pet from the moment she told him she didn't love him. He purchased her and then didn't hold up his end of the bargain. Sam says by way of accusation, you never even loved me in the first place. Well, no shit, Sam. That's the fucking point. She says in response, love you. How could I fucking love you? You treat me like a dog. He says, you're lower than a dog. She tosses a shoe down the hallway at him during this exchange. She is on the floor wearing a orange geometric printed slinky synthetic silk dress with a high neck and a shag hairdo. She is wearing a black silk robe over the ensemble. She looks trashy, but a kind of gilded trash that is so hot, it's hard to describe. On her way out, she grabs a snow white fur coat with big shoulders. The look reflects a luxe loss of faith. Ginger comes back home to Sam after this fight. I think we have all been in some iteration of this dynamic. We fight for our freedom, but are broken to a point that we don't think we deserve it. It's easy to get caught in a cycle of believing you're less than a man pretty easily, considering that that messaging has been inundating us since birth. At this point, Ginger has already attempted to escape with her daughter, Amy, or as Sam sees it, Ginger kidnapped Amy. Ginger is a junkie and completely incapable of acting in anyone's best interest, given that acting in her own best interest was stolen from her at the onset of her marriage. Sam, given his real fear for his daughter and his manufactured care for Ginger, has made her carry a beeper so he can monitor her at all times. This act of humiliation is the final straw, and Ginger's self-harm hits new heights. She starts fucking Nikki, which honestly does make sense in terms of a power grab. Who has it and how can she get it? It also harkens back to a time in her life when she was rolling men, not being held hostage by them. In many ways, her relationship to Lester was less violent than her marriage to Sam. At least that business arrangement was clearly stated, held up and not held over her head. Also, she loved Lester. She never loved Sam. This goes to intrinsic value and her motivations. Her relationship with Nikki is hot because it's illicit, and she gets to play him for power. But when Sam finds out, the risks outweigh the benefits. One night, Ginger, in a haze of drug-addled self-medication, ties Amy, their daughter, to the bed in lieu of a babysitter. She goes to Nikki's restaurant, where Sam later finds her. Sam drags her back home and they fight viciously after which Ginger goes back to Nikki and demands help and a hit on Sam. Nikki immediately throws her out onto the street literally where she has to pick herself up and drive away alone. I understand that she is not set up to be a sympathetic character in this film, but I would question anyone who doesn't sympathize with her here. She has been pushed so far into a corner, all while being used for sex and or property value. She is tossed out like trash and instantly blamed for all the actions of the men in her life. It's fucking gross. This scene is a real dividing point between men and women. I think a certain kind of woman sees Ginger in this moment. I mean, really sees her. Perhaps not all women certainly not the ones that play for the patriarchy or are so concerned with how women can be violent abusers, too, which, by the way, is a Republican talking point we should not be propagating. Ginger was never the problem. Both of them wanted to possess her, and when they couldn't, they fucking pushed her until she snapped. Ginger shows up at her and Sam's home early in the morning in her 1980s white Mercedes. She pulls up and rams right into his Cadillac, not the canary one she was previously held captive in, but a different one parked in the driveway of their suburban home. Cooped up inside the house with a shotgun and overwrought with cowardice, Sam looks down upon the destruction from an upstairs window. She continues to slam into his car full force until Sam comes outside. At this point, Ginger pulls towards him, and he scurries back behind the rock wall of the entryway. All the while, Ginger is screaming, You can't fucking ignore me, you motherfucker. Her rage here is so deeply satisfying and representative of so much more than this scene or the story could ever hope to contain. By the time Ginger gets out of the car, she hits the ground. Drunk and drug-addled, she still looks incredible. She is wearing a taupe leather pantsuit complete with white, pointed, high-heeled boots and a cream sweater. Her hair is shaggy and short, but still golden blonde and glowing like a fucking crown. She looks skinny and frazzled, but full of righteous rage that animates her. Her boobs, by this time, are fake. According to Stone's memoir, the use of fake boobs was her idea, and it adds significantly to the character and time period. Her short shag hair and leather pants suit look is a brash and brazen brand of fuck you femininity that has transformed into a celebrated form of glamour, currently inhabited by Lisa Rinna. Rinna's 2022 Real Housewives of Beverly Hills tagline, Hi, I'm Karma and yes, I'm a bitch, comes directly from Ginger's lineage. This scene ends with her driving away with the keys to the joint safe deposit box in hand. She is desperately trying to secure funds, likely for drugs. I think this is indicative of an addiction whose primary purpose is exiting her body, because she can't exit the trap she finds herself in, one that was exclusively built for her by the men around her Sam, Nikki, and Lester. She dies from a hot shot in a motel hallway. They killed her. Ginger's hysterical expression of injury was incredibly impactful for me as a young woman. It is a deeply satisfying thing to see a woman show you what has been done to her. I most certainly found myself screaming on a lawn or two in my day during addiction or otherwise. I also specifically bought an early 1980s Mercedes and a fur coat to perform this brand of womanhood as soon as I was able. In addition to inspiring me and countless other women who were powerful but treated like bottom of the barrel sluts, Ginger also deeply influenced arms of the culture dripping with complicated female power sources, such as the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. It isn't just Lisa Rinna embodying Ginger's outrageous diamond studded attitude, it's also Erica Jane. Jane, formerly known as Girardi, came out of a pretty heinous scandal with a Vegas show called Bet It All On Blonde, post her season 12 reunion show look where she names Ginger as inspiration and one may even say spirit animal. The outfit she wore at the reunion was an amalgamation of Ginger's blue leather skirt suit and her gold cocktail gown. It wasn't the first or dare I say the last Time Erica Jane has been seen in print or on screen dressed directly from Ginger's closet. Kudos, bitch, we love you. Sharon Stone herself loves the character of Ginger. I don't think any other actress could have played her with the amount of earnest dignity, honesty, and glamour that Sharon did. She understood that this was a real woman who deserved deference, but got disrespect instead. Sharon showed Jerry respect by giving it to Ginger, and honestly, that's what made her powerful. When Ginger was under her own command, she was strong, unshakable, and ruthless. It was only when she was forced into an uneven agreement that she started to crumble, as any woman would. Because contrary to popular belief, we are human, not accessories or pets. Next time on Window Dressing, Glamour Girl Next Door, MGM to Playboy, I will be discussing Pamela Anderson, her persona as the most successful centerfold in the history of Playboy, her sex tape with Tommy Lee, and her television role on the most successful television show of the time, Baywatch. She turned being a bimbo into a powerful thing. And by the way, I use the term bimbo with so much love. I think Pamela is brilliant and I'm glad to see people giving her the respect she deserves. I will be breaking down the role she played in culture that not only changed Playboy, and by extension the power dynamics of gender in America, but also her utter refusal to be ruined by the women-hating-fueled hatred that she was bombarded with after the theft of her and Tommy's sex tape. Thank you for listening. I'm Madeline Jane Obel.